0: Good morning. Good to see you today. Glad to be with you. Uh, my name is Josh, and one of the pastors here. Glad you could join us in person. Glad for all of you who are joining us online, at home. Glad that you can be with us, too. And uh, just let me, before we uh, jump in this morning, let me just uh, emphasize again, if you're new, you're new to the faith, you're just checking this church thing out, and you're not quite sure, same with those of you who are online, Alpha is a great opportunity for you. And we'd love for you to, to get signed up. You can even sign up online at uh, wawasebible.com backslash alpha. And uh, there's no commitment for you other than just to come, have some food, ask some questions, be yourself. And uh, it's, it's just a great, great study together. So hopefully uh, you, can, you can join us. We'd love for you to be a part of that. You know, um, there was a large corporation whose CEO was moving on. And uh, when he left, He uh, left some things for his successor, and uh, what he actually left was uh, three envelopes for him, and he told the guy who was replacing him, he said, "Uh, whenever you get into this situation, I'm I'm confident you're going to do well, but when you face some of those situations where uh, you're just not quite sure how you're going to lead everybody through this, I've prepared these three envelopes for you and they're down in uh, the bottom right drawer of my desk. So just pull one of those out when you face those times and it'll be a help to you. And the guy thought, oh, okay, whatever. And he moves into his role and things go really pretty well for the company for the first year. Uh, their stock continues to rise and things hold steady. Sales are good. But after about a year, sales start to drop off and uh, they drop off to a point that was concerning. And so he thought, okay, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to lead through this? And he got to the point where he remembered those envelopes and he thought well I might as well check it out so he pulled out number one and he opened it up I wonder what advice did my predecessor leave for me and he he pulled out a a note from him said blame your predecessor so he did called a press conference and told everybody oh this is all the fault of the guy who was in front of me and the the press liked it. The stockholders liked it. Wall Street rallied behind it. And, uh, and their company took off and grew again for a couple years until it didn't again, and things started to decline. And so this time, though, he remembered right away that, that stash of letters he had in his desk drawer. So he went in uh, for number two, and he opened up number two, and I, he thought, I wonder what kind of sage advice this guy left for me this time. And he tears it open, and uh, he pulls it out, and... Reorganize. So he reorganizes. He reorganizes the whole company. He fires a bunch of people, brings a bunch of new blood in, and, and they really like this, and things go well. And uh, he has many consecutive quarters of growth, you know, just up and to the right, and things, things were looking good for this company. And then uh, finally, though, they, they hit a wall where, where just some tragic things happened, and things began to just tank suddenly kind of off the edge of a cliff. Sales were down. His job was on the line. It wasn't, it wasn't looking good. And he thought, okay, I guess I, I'm going to have to dip into that last, that last envelope. And so he opens it up and he goes, man, I hope there's, hope there's something good in here. And he pulls it out and it says, prepare three envelopes. <laughs> Don't you wish sometimes maybe when you were facing something hard in life, you had somebody who had prepared three envelopes for you? You know, when life gets hard, you could just reach into the bottom drawer and pull those out and know exactly what you were supposed to do. Well, you know, there's good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus actually, he's left you three things. He's left you his Holy Spirit to dwell within you, to guide you, to to help you. Jesus literally calls him the helper. He's left you prayer. You can pray to him, you can talk to him at any time, in any place, in any situation. And he's left you his word. You have his word as an opportunity for you to to hear from him, to to learn and to know, how how do I face this? How do I go through this? And that's exactly what we're going to do again today. Uh, We're in a series called This Exile Life, and we're studying the book of 1 Peter in the New Testament. And Peter's writing to a group of people whose lives are hard, and they're struggling. Uh, They're they're struggling uh, because of their faith, uh, but likely struggling just in life in general, like you and I do. And, and Peter writes to them, and he talks about those things uh, in the passage we're gonna look at today. So we're gonna be in 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're gonna be in verse six. This is just our third week uh, diving into this, this book. And so let me pray, and then uh, we're gonna start there and we'll unpack it together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your grace to us through him, for your goodness to us in him. And Lord, thanks that uh, when Jesus ascended to be with you again, you didn't leave us alone. You gave us your spirit. Uh, you gave us uh, your word. Uh, you gave us the opportunity to pray and to talk to you like we are right now. So we ask you, Lord, we ask you for wisdom, for help. As all of us face different struggles and trials in life, would you um, turn our hearts toward Jesus? Give us wisdom and, uh, and uh, gold from your word. Teach us today so that we could become more like Jesus and that we could have the joy that, that he promises. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all this through him. Amen. Well, uh, we're in a third week, as I mentioned in our series, and last week we were in uh, verses three through five. We saw that because of God alone, we have hope that's alive and it cannot, it will not ever fail, right? Well, Peter picks right up on that in verse six of chapter one. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn with me there. Or if you've got an app, it'll also be on the screen here. Peter writes this, starting in verse six, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's the word of the Lord. You know, um, As we look at this now, let's just go ahead and circle back. We'll go back to verse six and let's just kind of unpack this together and plow through it. Sound good? You'll notice, too, on your message notes this morning, and uh, throughout this whole series, you're going to see the text that we're unpacking, just kind of written out there, even double spaced and spaced out. And I would encourage you, as you're listening and as, as we're uh, studying this together, take a pen, take a pencil, and just mark it up. If you're at home, you could, you could print out the text. You could do this right in your Bible, and, and just, just write some things. Just what do you notice? What do you see? Engage with God's word here, okay? Okay. Do that with me. So let's go back to verse six. We're going to start there. And, and Peter begins, he says, in this, you rejoice in this. Well, what is this? What's the this that we rejoice in? Well, it's, it's everything that he had previously said that we studied last week, Right? Remember, this is a letter. When Peter wrote it, he didn't write it in little chunks like we're taking it and studying it. He wrote the whole thing. They read the whole thing. And so they would have just read verses three through five. They didn't just pick it up in verse six like we did. And so when you go back to verse three, you read, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then specifically, here's some of the things that I think he's saying in this rejoice. In this you rejoice. He's saying these are the things you guys are rejoicing in, that you're exalting in, that you're uh, just having great joy in. Well, uh, let's look at, look at some of them. Uh, one would be uh, his great mercy, right? God's great mercy. They're rejoicing in that. Um, that. That he's caused us to be born again. That's a good thing to rejoice in. That they have uh, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, those are good things to rejoice in, isn't it? They've been born again both to a living hope and to an inheritance. That's a great thing. We were, we were doing this last night in our life group, just, just talking about some of these things, studying God's word and, and looking at the good things that God has given us in Jesus Christ that we've been born again to, to, the, to this living hope, to this inheritance. That's what Peter's saying when he says, in this you rejoice, these, these are the things. Do you, I wonder, what do you rejoice in? That word rejoice in this context really means to exalt, like to have just great joy, great jubilation. What do you rejoice in? Uh, is it in a, in a football team? You stand up, yes! Or maybe it's not in a football team winning, but another one losing. Maybe you <laughs> exalt in that. Uh, what do you exalt in? Is it, is it just good news in general? Is it, if, what is it that you exalt in? Peter reminds us that that it's it's okay to exalt in things like that, but but the ultimate thing to exalt in are are these things, that we have a living hope, we're we're born again, we have an inheritance in Jesus, and an inheritance that, see, I don't know about you, but when I exalt in in good things happening, like with maybe, uh, again, I'll go back to like a sports team, right? Many of you know I went to Iowa State, and so I love Iowa State athletics. Like, I'm just always following Iowa State. It's one of my few hobbies, I think, is following them. And so when they're good, I love it, I exalt in it. When they're bad, I usually kind of check out and quit paying attention. It's like, it, it, just, it's, it just consumes me at times. And the reality is though, when it's bad, I realize that the, the, when things go well, those things all fade and they go away. For some of you, maybe it's something like that too. Purdue or Notre Dame or Indiana or whoever else. The bears, yeah, that faded, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, but those things are perishable. They fade, they, they go away. But not this. P-p-p- Peter, excuse me, says uh, they're imperishable. They're undefiled, unfading. And they're kept in heaven for you. They're not even here. Like you, you have a future living hope and inheritance. That's what you exalt in. That, that's what he's saying. And this you exalt. And, and not only this, but you, by the way, another thing to exalt in, you are being guarded through faith by God's power for a salvation that it will be revealed, is yet to be revealed. It's future, like there's something to live for, something to look forward to, right? Isn't that good news? So the question is, what are you rejoicing in? When Peter writes to these Christians and when he writes to us, he's just, I would imagine that not every single one of them who heard this, Uh, all the time, 100% of the time, we're rejoicing in those things. But, But Peter says this in such a way that it's like they know they ought to be because he's like, hey, in this you rejoice. This is the thing to be fired up about. This is the thing to be excited about. That's what he's referring to, that because God alone, we have hope that's alive and cannot and will not fail. We saw that last week. And you go, yeah, Josh, I know I should rejoice in that, but you don't understand. My life is really hard right now. It's so hard. Like, you you don't know the circumstances in my home. You don't know the circumstances at my workplace. You don't know what's going on with me physically. Like, like you don't know. I get I should do that, but life is hard. But there's good news for you because Peter was writing also to people whose lives were hard. And oftentimes, Christianity gets a bad rap from people who look at, at some people who maybe teach God's word falsely and uh, look at it and say, uh, you Christians, you just deny reality. Like you, you think that because uh, you, of your, your faith in this, Mythical God, like all of a sudden, everything's gonna get just so good for you. Like you're gonna be healthy, you're gonna be wealthy, uh, you're gonna be wise, you're gonna be prosperous. Like everything is just gonna go so good for you, right? And if it's not going good for you, you must just not have enough faith. Like, come on. And I would say the same thing. Come on, that's just not true. See, Christianity, true Christianity and God's word does not deny reality. It doesn't deny it. Uh, too often, people in general, whether by means of escape or sometimes just falsely teaching God's word for their own benefit, can deny reality in the way they understand God's word. Like, suddenly if I become a Christian, life is just gonna get so much easier. Actually, Jesus, the the one whom our whole faith is named after, Christ, Christian, right? He actually said, no, if if you trust me, expect life to get really hard, (laughs) Take up your cross and follow me. God's word doesn't deny reality and Peter doesn't deny it here either because look at, look at what he says. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. I wonder, are you being grieved? Have you been grieved by trials? If, if you haven't, I think you're lying to me. Like we all have, Right? In fact, I would guess many, if not all of you, are going through something right now that, that you could point to and you could just go, man, that grieves my heart. That hurts. This is hard right now. Well, it's the same for the people Peter was writing to. It doesn't, he, Peter doesn't deny reality. He, he actually presents life as it truly is. That's what God's word does. But at the same time, he doesn't deny the hard things of life. He also doesn't deny that there's, there's good things coming. And so while we don't ignore the hard things, we do know that, that that good thing coming informs how we should go through these various trials. And that's kind of where, where Peter's gonna be going and taking us today. And so uh, the reality is, though, that you will face trials. There are trials that you and I will face in this life. There are, it's just, it's unescapable. In this you rejoice, Peter said, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So we said trials a number of times. What's a trial? We should probably define that, shouldn't we? Understand what is Peter talking about when he talks about a trial? Well, I would give you this definition. I think it's helpful. A trial is a painful circumstance that's allowed by God to shape my conduct and my character. A trial is a painful circumstance that's allowed by God to shape my conduct and my character. Let's unpack that a little bit. Number one, it's a painful circumstance. I don't know of any trial that isn't painful to some degree. Now, some are very painful. Some are just kind of a minor inconvenience, right? But, but there's a certain amount of pain in any trial, there's various kinds, like Peter says, I and mean, they, they might be emotional trials, they might be physical, they, they might hurt spiritually. Um, you know, I, I think when Peter says various trials, it tells me he doesn't have maybe a specific trial in mind, but he has a number of them. Now, it's likely, though, Peter's writing to Christians who, who are suffering for their faith, so he probably has in mind something that's related to, to a trial due to their faith in Christ, uh, but, but I think uh, scripture shows us, throughout scripture, that there are trials that are sometimes just uh, a part of life and due to our sin, due to, due to the fact that we live in a fallen world, maybe I should say. I mean, James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet uh, various trials, trials of various kinds, which tells me that some trials, yeah, they're due to faith. Other trials are just due to life. <laughs> you know? Uh, it could be anything from an aching back to a hard circumstance to a tough season at work to a failed relationship. And it gets really hard to the death of a loved one to a terminal illness. Even uh, as we'll see throughout the book of First Peter to facing persecution due to your faith. Trials run the gamut. And there are painful circumstances that God allows in our life. See, he allows them, that's that's good news. Notice in this definition, who's still in control? God is. So even in the hardest of circumstances, the hardest of trials that that make absolutely no sense, I have confidence that God is in control and God's word is clear about that. God's word doesn't deny that I face trials, but it, it also reminds me that in the midst of them, God is in control. We're gonna come back to that. They're they're meant to shape my conduct and my character. But before we get too much farther in kind of unpacking this, because we are going to come back here, I I think it's also important to recognize that while we all face trials, because we do, we also all face consequences at times. It's a word we use with our son, Charlie, a lot. You know, when he's misbehaving, Chuck, uh, you're about to face some consequences. Oh, then he kind of perks up, and he knows, he knows. Oh, I better, I better change my behavior here. Or something's coming. Well, what's a consequence? A consequence is uh, the natural outcome of my choices. That's a consequence. See, because sometimes, maybe, maybe you've run into this, somebody comes to you and like, oh, I have this huge trial, and you're thinking in your mind, dude, you totally brought that on yourself. What are you talking about, huge trial? That's a direct result of a choice you made like back then. There's trials and there's consequences. Do you see the difference? Uh, trials, again, as, as we look at them, the trials are allowed by God. Maybe we can get both of those up on the screen here. Um, uh, trials are allowed by God to... Uh, to shape my conduct and my character, whereas consequences uh, are the natural outcome of my choices. I think Peter even has this distinction in mind when he's writing his letter because on a handful of occasions, he actually says that he draws a distinction between suffering in a good way and suffering because of foolishness. We'll see that. I mean, you get to uh, chapter four, for instance. Uh, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That's a trial they're rejoicing uh, That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He goes on here. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. So if you're insulted for the name of Christ, good suffering, right? But probably a trial, but, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Consequence. See the difference? Trial versus consequence. And then he closes this, this little portion in 16. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. He says something similar in chapter two, verse 20. He says, what credit is it if you sin and you're beaten for it? Consequence. But, but when, you, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So we have to make some distinction between uh, trials and consequences. And, and trials are painful circumstances allowed by God to shape my conduct and my character, whereas a consequence is a natural outcome of my choices. See the difference? Here's where it gets muddy, though. Because uh, we live in a sinful world and we're sinful people. And so these two things often get muddled up together and it's kind of hard to discern because I don't know about you, but sometimes you can face a trial. And by the way, the right response to a trial is to embrace it. And we're gonna see that because God uses it to shape us and to test us and uh, to grow us. But sometimes when I face a trial, I can respond in a wrong way and I can sin, which leads to what? Consequences. (laughs) And now suddenly this thing that God was using in my life to shape me, now because of my sinful response also carries with it consequences and these two things are muddled together, right? Or maybe I'm facing a consequence. I did something and now I'm facing the consequence of it. But as the right response to a consequence, by the way, then is to repent, to turn back to God. And I do, I repent, but there's still uh, some consequences I have to deal with. But now God is going to use those consequences. Uh, You could rightly probably say that he uses that consequence now as a trial in my life because I've repented. And see how it's messy and just kind of muddled up and muddy? Isn't life just so simple? But but that's the reality, and so often there's there's parts of things where we need to embrace them, and how is God shaping me and growing me, and at the same time maybe not even totally being able to discern all of it. Going okay, where have I failed? Where do I need to repent? That makes sense. As we face trials and as we deal with our consequences, this is uh, Peter here is talking about trials, of course. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Here's the good news. He says uh, right there, uh, though now for a little while. Your trials, friends, are for a little while. They're not forever. In fact, even if your trial is for the rest of your life. Maybe your trial is some kind of a disease. Maybe something has happened to you that now, uh, or somebody has done something to you and now you are going to have to endure this trial for the rest of your life. The reality is that if you know Jesus Christ, and this is not to negate how hard that is, but the reality is it's still for a little while because eternity is a long time and that's what's waiting for you. So so Peter says, in this you rejoice. For a little while, even though now you're rejoicing in that hope, but, but right now I know it's hard. Right now I know it's hard. You're facing various trials. See, in fact, chances are everyone in this room, well, this is true, everyone in this room, everybody watching online, you're in one of three places. You're either in a trial right now, right? You're in the midst of a trial of some sort. Two, you're just coming out of a trial because They're for a little while. They're for a time. And uh, hopefully you've responded in a godly way and he's used that to shape your conduct and your character, praise the Lord. Uh, Or if you're neither in a trial or coming out of a trial, guess what? Where are you? There's probably one around the corner. (laughs) There's one coming. And so how you respond to those are important. See, the good news is if you're a follower of Jesus, they're all temporary. In fact, uh, they're for a little while. So we don't lose heart, Paul tells the church in Corinth, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. He goes on verse 17. For this light, momentary affliction. Isn't it curious that that Paul, he he had his sight so set on Jesus. Paul, a guy who, by the way, uh, suffered greatly for his faith. I mean, he was beaten multiple times. Uh, to the point almost of death multiple times. <laughs> he faced intense persecution. You're like, dude, Paul, I don't know if I could do it. He's like, oh, light, momentary affliction. <laughs> really, Paul? Because his eyes were on Christ, right? It, it, so it's, it's light, it's momentary. It's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love that. Like, think of like the greatest thing you could ever experience in your life. You can't even compare that to what God has for you, to what you could rejoice in, to that future hope. Paul's a great example of living out what Peter writes. Look at verse 18. He goes, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, they're, they're transient. They're fading. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Friend, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's facing you. I don't know what you're coming out of. I don't know what you're heading into. But the reality is it's temporary and there's, it's transient and there's glory waiting for you if you know Jesus Christ that's eternal. Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. Uh, Peter picks us up again uh, later in chapter five. He says, uh, in, uh, after a little while, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself. This is how He kind of ends His letter. Will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you? Peter doesn't ignore the harsh realities of life, nor does he ignore the glorious future. He says, "Your hope in that is what's going to help you get through the struggles. It's going it's, to. It's what's going to help you get through the trials." So it begs the question again, like what are you rejoicing in? Where's your hope? Where's your hope been this week? Where's it been this morning? Where's it been this last month, this last year? Is it in Christ, are you you exalting, are you rejoicing in the right things? Or only rejoicing, and it's okay to rejoice, it's okay to exalt in things that are temporary, right? But not ultimately, because those things are fading, those things are perishable, those things are gonna go away, they're transient. And, and if your hope is only there, guess what happens to your hope when those things do fade and go away and disappear? Whew, you're, 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 like the road, you're like the coyote chasing the roadrunner and you're falling off the cliff, man. Hope in Christ. In this, rejoice. See, Peter keeps going. He says, uh, in this you rejoice. though now for a little while, you've been greeted by various trials. Uh, you see this piece? If necessary. It means if I'm going through a trial, there's a certain sense where it's necessary. Really? Really, Josh? Really, Peter? It's necessary? Yeah. See, the, there's, there's good news that uh, trials are painful circumstances allowed by God, which means that God has purpose in them. In the trials you face, every single one of them has purpose. It does. Even the trials that may have resulted out of a consequence of of your sin or of someone else's that's resulted in a trial in your life, they have purpose. They do, from the smallest to the largest. Well, what's what's the purpose? Well, uh, here's where we have hope. Peter keeps going, namely they're to shape me. They're there to shape me. All of my trials have purpose. And that purpose is ultimately the shape. Look at, well, look at what, it, what Isaiah writes in chapter 64. He says, but now, O Lord, you are our father. We're the clay, you're the potter, and we're all the work of your hand. You ever seen a potter shape clay? They take a lump of clay, you know, if they're making a pot, and the first thing they do, they, they just beat the snot out of the clay, they take it and they just smash it down on the table and then they knead it and they just press all their weight and they press into it and they get all the air bubbles out so it doesn't break in the kiln because it still has to go through fire. <laughs> and, and they shape it and they mold it and they cut things away and they, they reshape and until eventually it's where it's at and then they cut it off and then they put it in the kiln and it gets fired and, and hardened and made beautiful, maybe with a glaze on it. This imagery is the imagery that the prophets use of how God shapes us through trial. In fact, with that image in mind, just listen as I read from Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah, a guy who as a prophet, is often called the weeping prophet because uh, nobody responded to him. I mean, he preached and preached and preached, and everybody continued to turn away from God. The word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there... I will let you hear my words. So I, Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hands and he, he reworked it into another vessel just as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, the clay in the potter's hand, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Maybe you'd insert your name there. As the clay is in the potter's hand, so you are, what's your name? In the potter's hand, in my hand. See, God uses, he allows these trials to shape us to shape our conduct and our character. Let's keep reading now in First Peter. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And then in verse 7, he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, I, I love that, that, that the genuineness of my faith would be found to result in praise. That, that Jesus would say, Josh, well done, good and faithful. So do, you, do you long for that, for him to say that to you? That the genuineness of your faith would be revealed in praise and in glory from God given to you? I skipped over a word there, though, didn't I? The tested genuineness of your faith. Come on, Pete. Tested? Really? I mean, I want genuine faith. I, I want true, saving, enduring faith. But the tested part, man. Peter even compares it to the refining of gold. He says it's, it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. You know how, how gold or any precious metal is tested, right? It's, it's smelted, it's heated up in the crucible, and everything that's impure in it uh, rises to the top, and it gets skimmed off until there's nothing left but the pure metal the pure gold and what what peter is saying here is that uh the same thing will happen with your faith it'll be tested it'll be found to be genuine it'll it'll be it'll go through the crucible it, it, all the bad stuff's going to boil up god's going to skim that off he wants to shape you because he loves you and, and even though gold which uh, for them especially would have been the most precious thing that they could have owned the gold will perish in the fire, ultimately. It's just gonna perish, but not your faith. Your faith is so precious and so valuable that once it's tested and shown to be genuine, man, it's awesome. Like, like, imagine, like consider what it results in, which is where Peter's headed. And, and this idea of, of God using trials to test us isn't new. It, it's what God does. Psalm 66, for you, O God, have tested us. You've tried us like silver is tried. Or the, or the writer of Proverbs in Proverbs 17, three, the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord, he tests hearts. Remember though, in, in that trial, and the thing that God is using to shape you, he's doing it for the growth of your conduct and of your character. Your conduct simply being uh, what you do, this is your, your action. And, and Peter, uh, over and over throughout the of his letter he's going to be talking about having a a holy conduct be holy the lord says for i am holy right don't suffer for being a murderer and a meddler and being foolish but suffer because you're following jesus and honoring him your conduct will be shaped in your trial not only this but your character who you are it's going to it's going to shape and develop who you are but peter says it will be tested and that's a good thing Because when it's the real deal and proven so, then God grows us. He grows you. And there's a a good result. James chapter one, this is why James can say, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds. Why? Because look at verse three, he says, for you know that the, the, the testing of your faith, it produces steadfastness. And then in verse four, And let the steadfastness have its full effect. Which tells me I might have to sit in my trial for a while to get the full effect of what God's going to do in my life. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's going to grow you through this, friend. You know, if you want to see suffering both suffering well and suffering uh, through a trial in a way that's really not a good plan, uh, you can turn to the book of Job in the Old Testament. Are you familiar with Job? Uh, Job's life is a country song. <laughs> For real, like every country song, is, you can kind of find it pretty much in Job's life. Uh, as, as he was going about life, there was a day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Job, by the way, was incredibly wealthy. He had everything he could ever imagine and ever want. Like, he was the Elon Musk, Bill Gates, uh, Jeff Bezos of his day. He had it all. He had it all. He was wealthy, and and he loved the Lord, though. A messenger of Job, though, came to him one day, and he said, "Uh, Job, the, the oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them. As other people came upon them, they took them, they struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Well, while he was still speaking, there came another and he said, The fire of God fell from heaven. He burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, There came another who said, "The Chaldeans formed three groups and they made a raid on the camels and they took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you." Like, whew, Three strikes and you're out, huh, Job? Nope. One was a foul ball. While another one was while he was just speaking, there came another one. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. It fell upon the young people. They're all dead. I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. Is this a consequence of Job's sin? No. This is a trial by definition, right? And it's something that God allowed. In fact, if you go back and read earlier in chapter one. So what will Job do? How will he respond? Will he respond in a way that brings consequence? Or will he respond in a way that allows God to shape him? Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell on the ground and... He worshiped, it says in verse 20. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord's taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now there's other times where Job does kind of get angry with God and you can see maybe a wrong response to his trial, but, but ultimately I love Job chapter 23 verse 10 where Job says this, But he knows, God knows the way that I take. He knows. Friend, whatever that circumstance is in your life right now, or maybe circumstances, plural, he knows the way that you take. And when he has tried you, when the trial's over, because it's temporary, it's for a little while, even if it's for the rest of your life, when he's tried you, you will come out as gold as you trust him. So, even those trials we face, they're for a little while. God has purpose in them to test, the, test us and grow my faith and my conduct and my character. And there's a good result waiting, a living hope and inheritance. So, I can exalt in that. And it means that in every trial I face, I know they all have purpose, so I can face them in hope. In hope. And remember, hope isn't this wishy-washy thing like, "Oh, I hope the Cubs win," because we know that probably won't happen now that they've traded away every good player on their team. Like, I hope, right? No, it's not that. It's it, hope is this confident expectation. Like, I know that's coming. I don't see it now, but I know. And in fact, that's what Peter goes on to say. He talks about facing it in faith. He says in verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. None of his readers had probably ever seen Jesus face to face in the flesh. Peter had, but they hadn't. He said, though you don't see him, you love him. That's faith, that's hope. Though you don't now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, unutterable, literally, is what that means. Like there aren't words for it. <laughs> and filled with glory. Notice Peter started with joy in verse six, with rejoicing. And he says, in this you rejoice, though I know there's trials. In this you rejoice, though I know you haven't seen him. In this you rejoice, though I know you don't see him right now. But in this you rejoice with inexpressible joy of what God has done for you in your hope. And so you can face trials in hope by faith. Well, what is faith? Faith, again, we use this definition often. It's believing God's word, believing what God tells me. These trials are for a a short time, even if that short time is decades. I, I act upon them. I act upon God's word. I believe it, I act upon it. In other words, I do what it says. I trust him even when it's hard. I obey him even when, there's the next part, when I don't want to. I believe God's word, I act upon it no matter how I feel. Why do I do that? Because God promises a good result. And friend, he keeps all his promises. When he's tried me, I'll come out as gold. When he's tried me, I'll come out as gold. So we can face them by faith. I, you know, Peter tells them, though you haven't seen him, you believe, though you don't now see him, you continue to rejoice. I have a feeling Peter, who spent all kinds of time with Jesus, right, probably heard Jesus say that same thing to Thomas. When Thomas, after Jesus' resurrection, Thomas is like, "Ah." Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to believe it until I see him. And so Jesus shows up, says, Hey, touch, touch my hands, touch my side. Believe, Thomas. And Thomas says, My Lord and my God. And what does Jesus say to him? John chapter 20, verse 29. Here's what he says He says, Now, Jesus says, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. I think that was resonating maybe even in Peter's mind as he wrote these words. Listen, life is hard. Not denying that. You're going to face trials. I don't know what they are, but they're there. They're, they're going to be there for the rest of your life on this earth. But they all have purpose that, that God is refining you, He's shaping you by faith so you can face them in hope. And blessed are you when you do that. Because one day your faith will become sight. God does promise a good result through these trials. If you're in a consequence, repent. And then embrace the trial that's awaiting you after your repentance. <laughs> See, uh, there are trials. Paul told the, told the Corinthians, it's written, what no eye has seen, there's hope for you. What no eye has seen, no ear heard, no, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You, have, you and I, I mean, we could talk up heaven all we want. We could talk up what, what that life is going to be like, what's waiting for us, and we would not come close to scratching the surface. No one's even imagined what it's gonna be like. Friend, your faith will become sight. You will face trials, but they all have purpose, so face them in hope. Let me pray for you.